contentment, what it is and how to have it. Next. Contentment is learned. It isn't natural. It doesn't come to us naturally. We're naturally selfish. We're not born with it. It is not a gift. It is something that God will give us, though, if we will let go of the past, forgive ourselves and others. If we will live one day at a time, live in the day, we have the day. We don't have tomorrow. We have this day. Yesterday is gone. And find sufficiency in Christ. Christ is enough. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Hello, and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Contentment is defined as being in a contented state, being satisfied, having ease of mind and unaffected by outward circumstances. Now on our last broadcast, we begin looking at the possibility of having this in our relationships and in our jobs. We continue today with how we can possess this great gift. Even during the Christmas season, God gives it. But there's a catch, we must learn something, not to worry, it's something we can all do. Pastor Ed Ray will explain, but first he'll offer up more instruction on contentment in our work. Were you a slave when you were called? When you were saved, were you a slave? Don't let it trouble you, don't let it bother you. Although if you can, gain your freedom, do so. So he's not recommending slavery, he's just saying that if you're there, then do it well and use that opportunity to share Christ with others. Don't take advantage of that Christian brother who is your boss. Witness on your lunchtime, if you're gonna witness, before and after work, not while you're on the clock, right? While you're working, you are a witness. And when you're not, people are still watching you. If it's possible, make money for the boss and for his company, her company. That's what a good believer would do. Okay, I told you it'd fly in the face of a lot of thinking here in America. God is saying the gospel is the most important thing, or more clearly, it's all about eternity. Hmm. Verse 3, now contentment and godliness. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and according to Scripture doctrine, which accords with godliness. Paul returns to a theme we've seen several times. The word appears 11 times in this letter, godliness, godlikeness, being like God, and he uses it against false teaching. Okay, so back in 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, Paul said there were false teachers there, and actually he's using the same word here, teaches otherwise, is a false teacher. So does it speak of contentment? does not consent to wholesome words, but discontent words. That They will not. They'll teach things other than the words of Jesus Christ. Now, this is going somewhere that impacts our life very much today. Listen to what people are saying. People who come and want to teach you. I have them come to my house on Saturday morning from cults, and, and they have a certain set of books and guidelines and they want to tell you what's wrong with what you believe. And this is the sort of thing that's happened in Ephesus. In fact, it would appear that they were once Christians, or at least 
part of the church, and then they left it to form these cults in Ephesus. It's the first record of cults, and Paul is speaking against it here. Be aware of anyone who teaches something other than what Scripture teaches. And if you listen carefully, it will happen. You'll see it. You'll understand it. You'll notice some things about them. Verse 4, that person who's teaching this way is proud, but they actually know nothing. Obsessed with disputes and arguments, they like to argue, from which comes these four forms of strife, envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. Okay, he's proud. I love the New English Bible translation of those two words. It says, he is a pompous ignoramus. <laughs> That's scripture. Just add that to your vocabulary. It works really good. The word proud is a tufo in the Greek language, and it literally means to envelop with smoke, you know, blow a lot of smoke, we say, inflated with self-conceit. Proud people are like smoke, Paul says. They irritate others, and they seldom produce any benefits like light or heat, just smoke. They like to argue. In fact, it literally says word battles. Dispute means idle speculation. They have too much time on their hand, and they're wondering about subjects that don't matter. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? I don't know the answer. Don't ask me afterwards. Somebody did. I don't know. It's a point of a rhetorical question that can't be answered. Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? <laughs> what? These are arguments over words and idle speculations. Then Paul says that they're spiritually sick and they need to get back in line. Okay, so these people who love to argue, and you will run into them, are in fact uninformed. They're not paying attention. They don't take the time to study the original languages and what Paul meant, the context it was written in. And so they're just out of touch with reality. I have a, a lot of conversations with scientists who are very argumentative about religion. They consider, for the most part, religion to be against science, even though that's not true. And because they're uninformed, they will argue and create websites against Christians. I'm having a discourse with one right now. Did you notice my blood pressure go up? And a brilliant man, but a brilliant idiot. And there's plenty of them around. <laughs> I hope he's watching. I'll, I'll hear about that one. Okay. They're not paying attention, right? Okay, so I found a great illustration of that. 1912 election in the United States, the presidential election, Woodrow Wilson became the new president. Well, he had a great aunt who was very confident, prideful person. And he hadn't seen her in a long time, and he could never do anything that would impress her. And so he thought, well, maybe now is the chance she'll recognize that I'm not a worthless young nephew. So he visited her, and finally she said, so what have you been doing lately, Woodrow? <laughs> and he said, I've just been elected president. She said, oh yes, president of what? And he said, of the United States. And she squeezed up her face and snorted and said, oh, don't be so silly, Woodrow. She never did believe that he was the new president of the United States before she died. Okay, so Paul says there's some motives behind that, envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, and it's a big, long list of 
people who get upset about things that they don't know, and then they find out they're wrong, and then it produces nothing, no benefit. So, another illustration. G.K. Chesterton, great English uh, writer, he visited the United States, some Christian friends in New York, took him to Times Square because they wanted to impress him with all the lights. Well, those of you who've been to Times Square, you know, they have these banners that are going across, uh, ABC News and NBC and CBS. And, and so it's, it's just a running dialogue of what's happening in the world. You know, 12 killed in Sukkur and Yemen, and, and this one, you know, train wreck kills 147, plane crash. So it's just all this stuff's going by. They don't really even notice it because uh, wanting to impress him with the lights. And they said, so what do you think, Mr. Cheston? Isn't this a beautiful spot? And he said, after thinking, how beautiful it would be for someone who could not read. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? <laughs> that, that's a, a great truth that, oh, everything's fine in the world. Not so much. God is the answer, but pay attention. And they like to argue, verse 5, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. So he talks about motive here. When it says he is proud, you got to go look this up in the New English Bible. It translates this, he is a pompous ignoramus. Nice. I just get caught up on that. Useful wrangling. To rot thoroughly, corrupt minds. From such withdraw yourself. If any man teaches otherwise than what you've learned, Paul said, in the church, Paul says, get away from such teachers. People who say that going to church, that religion is a means of gain. God wants you to be rich financially. That's not what Scripture says. That's what they were saying 2,000 years ago, and you can still find plenty of people who are teaching that today, sadly. What does God see as godly? Now, here's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. It's God's hall of fame, people of faith, great faith who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, think Daniel, quenched the violence of fire, think the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in faith, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. So, you know, you read it and think, well, that's what I want to do. I want to raise the dead, <laughs> turn back armies. Well, wait a minute, keeps going. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. That's Manasseh, we discovered this in our men's study that, in fact, Manasseh had Isaiah put into a log, a hollow log, and then cut it in half. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute. They were broke, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. These people, Scripture says, that the world is not worthy of, men and women of faith. Some homeless, wandering around living in caves, poor by the world's standards. It wasn't because they lacked faith. Don't let anyone tell you you're not rich because you lack faith. Here's a whole list of them that are called people of faith. 
So God might choose to prosper your life financially if he does praise the Lord. But he also might go the other way, call you to a life of simplicity. And again, praise the Lord for that. He might reduce you down to a goat skin on your back. He might leave you to wander from cave to cave. That doesn't mean you're not godly. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. The idea of godliness is gain is bent. It's perverse. The Living Bible says for them, the good news is just a means of making money. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, correcting the popular yet perverse notion about faith. Now with more on what our faith is about and the contentment we can know from 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Once again, here's Pastor Ed. Godliness with contentment is great gain, great wealth. Gain alone is not godliness, that's his point, but godliness is gain. It is, in fact, increase, improvement, great gain, Paul says. If you are content with your current situation, content doesn't mean you don't necessarily would not go on to something better, but that you'll accept where you are right now, then you have great gain with godliness if you're walking with the Lord. Ben Franklin said, Content makes poor men rich. Discontent makes rich men poor. We have this mindset that if I just had a certain thing, then I'll be more content. I was reading the story of Robert Jackson. He's a a wealthy industrialist in Chicago. And he was uh, walking down the street, came to a stoplight, waited, and he overheard two men talking who were homeless men. And one guy said to the other, if I only had $100, I would never complain again. Jackson overheard it, and he said, excuse me, did you say if you had $100, you would never complain again? The beggar said, well, you heard it right, mister. And so Jackson pulled out his wallet and handed the guy 100 bucks, saying, I'm glad I have a small part in bringing happiness to the world and to you. And Roberts turned to walk away, and the guy whispered, the beggar whispered to the other beggar, And he said a little too loudly, I wish I had asked for $200. (laughs) Less than five seconds his contentment lasted, and he was moving on to something else. Discontentment is never satisfied with externals because our problem is internal, right? With contentment, that's an important phrase. Paul wrote about his own personal contentment to the Philippians. I mentioned chapter 4. Listen to the following verses, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in what state I am to be content. I know how to be abased without anything, and I know how to abound, to have much. Everywhere in, in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to be abounding and to suffer need. So when Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, he used the word joy more than any other book that he wrote. Where was Paul when he wrote Philippians? jail. He was in prison. His circumstances didn't dictate his attitude about contentment and satisfaction. What a challenge to all of us. Contentment comes from trusting God when life seems unfair, when road bumps, when speed bumps, when potholes in the road of life disable your forward progress. God is on the throne. God still loves you. God 
will get you through this to increase your faith so you move to the next one. <laughs> Pastor, you're saying there's going to be more? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed, you're either in, you're in between, or you're going into a new trial. It's just part of the way the Lord matures us all so that our contentment will be complete. Life is made up of a mixture of blessings and burdens, triumphs, and tragedies. Bad things happen to good people all the time. Jesus said so also, Matthew 5, 45. He causes the sun to rise, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he makes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Everybody goes through difficult times. The question is, will it yield? Will it bring good things out of your life or will it make you bitter and unforgiving? We have to decide. Attitude. Contentment is determined by one's attitude towards life from trusting God when life is unfair and being certain that God is certain even when life is uncertain. Contentment is not having everything we want, but accepting with joy everything that we do have. Mm. Last section. Contentment in possession is the great lie. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we will carry nothing out. It's true. I've seen it with my own eyes. Both of my daughters born, they came out without a sack of money, right? But of course, they went through it plenty after they got out, right? But we come with nothing, and we carry nothing away. True. Don't see hearses that are pulling a U-Haul trailer. You just can't take anything with you. You can't take it with you, and it's like a monopoly game. You can amass all of the boardwalk that you possibly can, but the, when the game is over, you just shut it up, and you walk away. John W. Rockefeller was the Rockefeller that started Standard Oil Company. He was a bazillionaire, okay? Just so much money, he didn't know what to do with it. In fact, but he said this statement right before his death. I have made many hundreds of millions of dollars, but they have brought me no happiness. Rockefeller's estate, valued in the billions by today's standards, was uh, the source of a lot of contention, his will, etc. And the executor of his will was a godly attorney. After it was disclosed, a newspaper reporter came to the executor and said, how much did Mr. Rockefeller leave when he died? And the executor's famous reply, he left all of it. <laughs> Jesus spoke about that. He said in Luke chapter 12, this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns, build bigger ones, and there will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Everything's fine, relax. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself and is not rich towards God. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but suffer the loss of his own soul? So, Paul is telling Timothy, as Jesus did, that materialism is the ultimate act of foolishness. Trying to amass things for yourself is a bad investment. It doesn't go anywhere. 
But Jesus said we could send it ahead and that we might use it in the kingdom of God and he would prepare a place for you and I. Last verse, but having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. If you have food and clothing, that's enough to be satisfied, Paul says. The basic necessities of life are guaranteed by God. Contentment isn't simply giving up and saying, well, that's just the way things are. No, contentment goes a a lot deeper. It's a positive action that is surrender, knowing that your surrender and the attitude that comes from that will promote the kingdom of God in other people's lives. They'll see your life and they'll be touched by it. And it will leave a legacy for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. So contentment is learned It isn't natural. It doesn't come to us naturally. We're naturally selfish. We're not born with it. It is not a gift. It is something that God will give us, though, if we will let go of the past, forgive ourselves and others, if we will live one day at a time, live in the day. We have the day. We don't have tomorrow. We have this day. Yesterday is gone. And find sufficiency in Christ. Christ is enough. Everything he gives us is enough. Let me close with a true story of a a man named Joseph Shriven. He was born in the 1800s to very prosperous parents in Dublin, Ireland. At the age of 25, he decided to leave his native country of Ireland and move to Canada. The main reason he came to Canada was his fiancée died the night before their wedding by drowning. From that time forward, he lived a completely different life. He rededicated his life to the Lord. It was said he gave freely to anyone who asked him of anything, even literally a coat off his back in cold weather. Because of this lifestyle, he was greatly admired, but they also thought he was just a little bit eccentric. So on learning of his mother's illness, a very serious illness, he wrote her a letter, and he included in it a poem that he had written. Now, years later, when he was dying, a friend came to visit him and noticed the poem on a piece of paper and asked if he could read it. And he did, and he said, did you write this? But Scraven was a a very humble man, and he said literally, well, the Lord and I did it between each other. Here's the words of his poem, and it will make the rest of the story make complete sense to you. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry things to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who with all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus said he is our friend and our brother, the greatest friend that you could ever know and have. If you have not experienced his love, surrender to him. No matter what you're facing, you can call out to the Lord in prayer and he will hear you. You have his word on it. 
Today on Grow in Grace, we brought you a portion of Pastor Ed's study in First and Second Timothy. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. May God richly bless you. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Say, let this world know me by your love.